0: Hello, this is Key Ideas, and I'm your host, Leila Viss. This podcast contemplates the rhythm of life as a piano teacher and music maker. Through illuminating interviews and transparent reflections, you'll feel validated, encouraged, and empowered. This is episode number 64, which features my good friend and colleague, Emily McGree. I've always admired Emily McGree from afar whenever she hosted the National Piano Foundation webinars during the heart of the COVID season with her esteemed colleagues, including Richard Rohino. I was fortunate to powwow with Emily via email about plans for the recreational music-making track at the Music Teachers National Association Conference for the past three years. And even though we both live in Colorado, we've never met face-to-face thanks to the conferences being held online instead of in person. We became several degrees closer when we met over the phone because of unfortunate circumstances. Days after a life-altering family tragedy, I resigned as the piano prep coordinator at the University of Denver. The next year, my good friend and colleague Chi Wa Tan stepped away from her position as head of piano pedagogy. Emily and I began holding long conversations as the baton was passed to her as the newly appointed professor of piano pedagogy and the piano prep program director at Lamont School of Music. In June of this year, we finally met in person for the first time at the Colorado State Music Teachers Association State Conference, and now whenever we can swing it, we meet up and have a hard time cutting off our chats. Today, you're invited to eavesdrop on our conversation about neurodivergent students and how we as teachers can adjust to suit their learning styles. If you've heard the term neurodivergent but aren't sure what it means, or if you have observed behavior in students that indicate that they may learn differently, but you can't target how to guide them. Or if you are in need of resources for how to help students with anxiety, then stay tuned. Emily has so much to share and you will find her insight and advice incredibly valuable as you teach privately or in groups. Throughout our conversation, Emily uses several initialisms to abbreviate disorders. To help you make the most of this interview, remember that ASD stands for Autism Spectrum Disorder. ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. By the way, ADD is an outdated term for what is now called ADHD. Some people with ADHD have hyperactive behaviors and some don't, but the diagnosis is ADHD either way. Before we get started, here's more about Emily. Emily Book mcgree is currently on the faculty at the Lamont School of Music, where she's the head of piano pedagogy and directs the piano preparatory program. She also runs a private studio in Lafayette, Colorado. Emily is a frequent presenter at the National and State Music Teacher Conferences. She has served on the planning committee for the Pedagogy Saturday Recreational Music Making Track at MTNA Conferences for many years. She's also president-elect of the Colorado State Music Teachers Association. Emily has also served on faculties at the University of Northern Colorado, the University of Colorado at Boulder, Front Range Community College, and was the education director at a large community school for almost a decade. Now here's Leela with Emily. So hello, Emily. It is wonderful to have you join me on this podcast. So let's jump right in because this is a hot topic and I'm sure I'm speaking for most teachers that we need clarity on neurodiversity and how we can best accommodate the students who populate our piano benches.
1: Thanks for having me, Leela. It's great to be here.
0: So can we first go to how to define the term neurodiversity?
1: Yes, and you sent me a fabulous uh, description or a definition. I think about it as as a, a bunch of different things. Um, but I'm gonna pull up. Sorry, I didn't have that up.
0: Oh, I have it here. I, I can read it for you. Neurodivergent is a non-medical term that describes people whose brain develops or works differently for some reason.
1: Yeah, and and I think one of the the interesting things when I when I read a, a research on um, how to teach or how to parent or how to 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 just converse with uh, neurodiverse students um, and and adults for that matter it what is categorized as neurodiverse is widely different sometimes um, sources will say that is uh, referring to students with asd or autism spectrum disorder adhd um, students that that might have generalized exam anxiety disorder Um, it can also refer to students who are gifted and talented uh, and those students also tend to have or can have um, other comorbidities that go with that. Um, so social challenges, anxiety disorder, ADHD, a lot of those things can go hand in hand with GT kiddos. Um, so And that's that's sort of where I got interested in this. <laughs> or well, that's really, where I want to go to next yeah. is
0: how did you become interested in it?
1: Yeah. So I teach down at, at Lamont and, and I guess my interest uh, started way before this, but In our preparatory program here, we have a lot of students that come from a school called RICS, which is a school for gifted and talented students. And uh, that primarily is where most of our population comes from and they're in our group classes. Um, so there are a variety of challenges and successes cool things that that happen with teaching GT kids Um, but it also you know we need to learn a little bit more about how to properly access um, their their skills and and we see some differences in the classroom so of course they can be extremely smart they can you know we might not have to spend as much time teaching the musical alphabet or where metal c is on the piano um, but they might have other challenges um in in some of those might be social emotional some of those might be self-regulation some of those might be just general behavior issues um, there are a lot of sensory uh um challenges that can come uh, with that as well so that's sort of where i got interested in this and then um uh, I have two kiddos, two of their four mm-hmm. and six year olds. And um, as as they grew up a little bit, um, and and you know, they're not they're not old yet, but uh, thankfully, they also have some challenges um in, in the GT world. Um, both of them have some sensory issues, um, anxiety issues. Uh, so then I started doing a, a pretty pretty big deep dive in how we teach these kids, how how I can parent my own kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and and how we can just sort of interact with the neurodiverse population because it's huge um i know the numbers say 30 to 40 percent but it's probably i'm gonna bet way higher than that and so yeah yeah you and i were talking
0: about that we're like okay don't you think we're all on the spectrum Uh yeah Yeah, i know and and that's what we're talking about right is you know i don't hear that word neurodiverse nearly as much as on the spectrum but that's what we're really talking about is that correct
1: well, no. Actually, on oh, the spectrum okay. refers to just um, people who have been identified with autism spectrum disorder. Um, so that is different from your ADHD kids, um, from your kids with general anxiety disorder, from your kids who have dysre- Tourette's or dyslexia or or any of those other um, – yeah, mental disorders that, that can come with ASD, but they're different, so, so they're kind of different buckets. And if you do any reading or, or just kind of looking online about that, there, there are all of these little like Venn diagram situations that happen. And in a lot of, it gets tricky because a lot of the symptoms, I guess I would say, or behaviors are similar between uh, a lot of the different um, disorders or, or neurodiversities out there. Um, so it becomes challenging for us as teachers and parents and community members to figure out, you know, what, what it is that, that we're dealing with and how to appro- appropriately um, address things.
0: Well, let's go there next then because you wear many hats. Yes. <laughs> Let me just list them for you, just in case you're not aware, okay, because uh, you are a piano teacher, mm-hmm. you're a piano professor, you mentor graduate students, mm-hmm. you teach group piano, Mm-hmm. you are an administrator and oh wait a minute you oh, you're a mom mm-hmm. and you're soon to be the colorado state music teachers association president okay so that's quite a few hats there just wondering if you still want, want to say yes to all of those or not but <laughs> um, but okay you run into a lot of people you yeah. interact with a lot of people so now that you've got this knowledge that's accumulating in your own mind um how how are you interacting differently with i mean because you said adults will have this as well is that correct yeah
1: Yeah. i think you know just in in our our climate in general we're trying at least in my world we're trying to move to a a a more inclusive um just presence right um and one of the things that that i have i think developed is the ability to see that Behaviors are really just a form of communication, right? And and sometimes, um, you know, depending on if if I have my administrator hat on, right? I I might I might need to give directions or write emails or or do things in a different way so that they can be received, right? And I think it's also the understanding that how we are saying things as individuals and how we're perceiving that isn't necessarily what the other person is receiving and how they're interpreting it. Um, So if we can understand a little bit more about what makes them tick as an individual, we can more effectively have communication. And that's really the most important part to all of those hats.
0: Well, and I have to say that I am so guilty of making assumptions. So I think what you're saying is we cannot make assumptions because we're thinking one way, someone else may not be thinking that way.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, as musicians, I think that we maybe interact with the neurodiverse population a bit more than many, you know, some other career fields. and and you know we can see a student who maybe struggles to have eye contact with us, or um, as maybe that person is not interested or doesn't want to interact with us, or or they're not wanting to be here when that's not really the case, or if they're having a, tr- a trouble sort of reading um, our our figure of speech, they don't understand exactly what we're saying. Um, that's not an intellect problem. It's it's uh, you know that's just how their brain. works. Uh, We use figures of speeches all of the time um, when we are teaching. And and sometimes those metaphors and analogies and figures of speeches don't don't get across the way that we think that they're going to. So I think we have to be careful about that communication piece.
0: And communication and being socially acceptable or accepted, Mm -hmm. that's, I think, where we struggle as teachers is because you're right. I read it one way. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this kid does not want to be here you know? And so then I know how I, I know my frame of mind changes about that child as well. Uh, So that was one thing that you're kind of leading into then is we as piano teachers, we vet a lot of our students, they come in our door we're like, hmm, let's see who you are. And what are some signs? What are some, I don't like the word symptoms, but what are some (laughs) things that we should just be looking for so that we know what we're getting into?
1: Yeah, I think the tricky thing is that the answer to that question can vary widely depending on the type of disorder the student has. Um, you might see that they just have a different. Uh, distracted tendency about them and they have trouble focusing. You might see some repetitive movements. So maybe there's a lot of rocking. Maybe there's some hand fidgeting that's happening. Um, maybe, uh, you know, they're they're not as comfortable sitting still. Um, you might see restricted interests. So uh, with, with ADHD students and ASD students, um, they can get hyper-focused about the things that they're really interested in. But if you present them with a repertoire piece or an exercise, or an activity that doesn't relate to what they're doing, you know, you you might see some issues there. Um, There might be challenges with transitions from one activity to the next or coming into the classroom. Um, You might see some struggles with retaining information or utilizing what we call working memory, Um, resistance to new activities and pieces um and in physical challenges too i think you know sometimes with some of these disorders there are gross motor and fine motor challenges that students have so things like understanding high low right left up down um, crossing the midline uh, with arpeggios or, or pushing our, our left hand over top of our right hand to utilize the, the next octave on the piano, um, clapping or doing rhythm activities. Uh, some of those, those things can be really challenging for students. Um, and then I also think, you know, social challenges. So if you're teaching a group class, you, you might see some different, different uh, interactions happen, uh, maybe some issues with emotional regulation, uh, self-regulation, uh, and then some sensory needs. Uh, so if you see fidgeting or notice that a student's eyes are darting around the classroom a lot or if they're getting distracted with something, um, those are kind of you know, that's a, that's a big bucket list, but (laughs) it can can be a lot of different things. Right. And, and one, you know, I I remember when I first started um, asking questions about um, kiddos on the spectrum with ASD or ADHD for that matter. um, One of the therapists that I was talking to um, said to me, you know, if you meet one kid with ASD, you've met one kid with ASD, it doesn't look the same. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, one of the things that we were talking about when when we were growing up, it's, um, you know, we had, it was like the hyperactive kid in the corner, right? Or 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 the kid who wouldn't pay attention. Or, or the kid who was just weird or eccentric or something like that. And, and we labeled people that way of like that was just them. They were bad kids or they didn't pay attention or they had behavior problems or something like that. Instead of really understanding, which I think that we are moving towards now, of, well, what is that person trying to tell us? What, what is the communication that they're trying to get across? And how do we need to adjust our teaching environment um, to meet the needs of that individual?
0: Hey, we'll get right back to the conversation, but I want to make sure you know about some of the music I use to immediately engage students, especially those students who learn differently. It's important to me that these pieces be fun to play and easily taught by rote, so the student goes home excited about playing a cool piece. Composer Wendy Stevens offers a vast selection of my all-time favorite rote and reading pieces. I know that if you try just one piece, you'll see why her music is known as Music Kids Love. So I'm excited that Wendy is offering to give any Key Ideas listener a popular, big-sounding elementary piece called The Bold Escape for free. It's one that can be introduced through rote teaching if you prefer. Just put the piece in your cart and enter the coupon code Key KEYIDEAS, that's K-E-Y-I-D-E-A-S, all one word. Then hit checkout and it's yours to use over and over again. I think you and your students will love it. Look for a link to your studio license of The Bold Escape in the show notes. Now back to my chat with Emily. There's a couple of things that came to mind. And number one, resistance is a word that I, I see. And it particularly... Between the student and the parent, when I am interviewed, you can tell what's going on just by their interaction and the mom or dad saying, "Oh, stop!" You know, like listen, or you know, they're trying to correct, auto correct, and because they want them to behave at the lesson. So those are signals to me, and I don't, I don't ding them for it. I'm like, "Oh, okay," you know, a little bit of regulation issues, but I don't mind that. But I do notice that the parent relationship is pretty important.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I think at least, you know, from my experience along this journey myself, um, parents are on a wide spectrum, if I can use that in <laughs> a way. Um, in their understanding of what their kid needs to, you know, it's it's a really hard process to walk through as a parent, and they may or may not be to the point where they know. Maybe they know their kids a little different. Maybe they know they've got some challenges or some struggles, but they don't know what that is, yeah. and and they haven't gone through the evaluation process yet, um, or they're on a waiting list for 12 months or whatever the case might be, or they're frustrated because they know they need help, but you know, they're they're worried that their student is not going to be able to succeed in in a you know very Various, um situations um well you think about it when you decide to be a parent you're all excited about this new baby right yeah. and you're worried about the baby and okay
0: you know how's the delivery going to go you don't even think about no if the baby may learn differently you know so i remember that being a surprise for one of our sons he had a, he was an out-of-sync child had never heard of that before mm-hmm. so the the parent is learning all right along with us yeah. and right along with their child And so I think we have to be patient, but we also have to be aware ourselves. Um, And so can we go to, to something because crossing the midline seems to be one of the most important things. And I noticed in one of my students that he had a really hard time crossing the midline and he also shows and exhibits some other issues. So why is that so important to a child?
1: well i think you know for a lot of reasons it's it's a predictor of of language development it's a predictor of gross motor skills it's it's um it's Imperative for a student to be able to develop properly and and like you mentioned the out-of-sync kid, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It is is a pretty big indicator that 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 kiddo Whatever the disorder might be has something going on probably it might just be a a gross motor delay It might you know, it might be some small sensory processing disorder. It might not be you know ASD or or one of the other bigger disorders But something that we definitely want to pay attention to and I, I think that as piano teachers we have a lot of Ability to impact that, there are so many activities that we can do to help encourage that student to develop the crossing the midline um, ability, uh, and and you know that's important when we're when we're planning activities for our private lessons and our group classes to, to make sure that we're we're aware of that. And, and so,
0: can you first of all explain what crossing the midline is?
1: Yeah because
0: some may not know what that means. Yeah.
1: yes. Yeah. So we sort of have this like imaginary line that goes down the middle of our body from our head all the way down to our feet. So kind of like cutting us in the half and students who have issues or, or struggles crossing the midline can't necessarily get their right hand easily over to their left side of their body and vice versa, the left hand over to the right side of the body. So for instance, if you have, um, a, uh, so I'm right-handed, and if I have a pencil that's sitting on my left-hand side, right, I will naturally reach my right hand over to grab that pencil. A student who has trouble crossing the midline is just going to grab that with their left hand, no matter if they're, if they're left-hand dominant. Um, so, so it's a struggle for them um, to, to, to sort of cross that imaginary line, which as a pianist, we can imagine the number of <laughs> issues that might present down the road. Yes. And I did a little bit of research, you know, this is all just,
0: just Google research, not really not really in depth, but it does seem to make connections in the brain, too, right? Yeah. So well, yeah.
1: Sorry, I, yeah, it's it's about our brain being able to cross the different parts, right? So mm-hmm. so if a student is not crossing the midline, their their parts of their brain are not talking to each other in the most effective way. Um so so just the development um is can be problematic for a student um when when we're talking about movement or really anything else. It's language development, it's it's how we perceive our senses or how we perceive language. When Someone is talking to us. Um, it's, you know, it's a really important step that I think we're doing more and more research about. Uh, and that's certainly not an area that I'm an expert on, but but we'll watch for the signs in students if um, if I'm noticing some challenges there.
0: So I am curious, do you have a few little games that are actually tests for students (laughs) they don't know that they're being tested but is there one that we can tell pretty quickly if they may have trouble crossing the midline
1: yeah so you know there's there's a a few different things that you can do um and we use them at least in our group classes at lamont as brain breaks right Mm -hmm. so it just is is a okay we're going to take two or three minutes and go over here and do this one of them uh, which is very easy to utilize in in a music classroom is scarves right so if you're if you're playing scarves and and getting the student to kind of cross over to the other side of their body or um kind of move their uh scarf in and out of their legs or or just encourage free flow in that way um is is, you know that's always a a good macro movement activity to utilize as a brain break or just a um, general movement activity in your classroom um there are other things that, that students can do just sitting at a bench too and one of those is if you have you know a a beat going and you have them tap their right hand you can you know work on a finger or whatever it is that, that that student needs to work on and their foot at the same time so we go back and forth between right left right left and then you switch it on them and see if they can tap their right hand while their left foot is tapping oh so so crossing right that that imaginary midline and going right and left at the same time and then opposite, and back and forth that way. Uh-huh. Um, you can also have a student stand up, again, if you need to, to just have a brain breaker, a macro movement um, in your in your lesson or class, and have them put their, stand like towards a window or a wall, and they're, they're gonna keep their head and their upper body straight towards that, and they're gonna put out their right and their left um, leg, and then see if they can switch to the other side. So right side of your body, left side of your body, right side of your body and left side of your body. And then just like with the tapping activity, well, can you put your left foot out front and your right arm out front and then switch and then do it the other way? Um, So those, you know, those are, those are some pretty simple activities to see. Uh, You know, I've seen other teachers use the whole, like, we're going to tap our head and and rub our belly thing. Um, Just different coordination ideas like that that can be done really simply uh, to see if you've got a student who uh, is maybe struggling with that a bit.
0: When you can, you probably see it right away because I'm just thinking, okay, right arm, left, like, like I'm even thinking, you know, that's not an easy thing to do.
1: It's not. And and even if you do some simple stretches at the beginning of the class, too, like, okay, let's let's loosen up. And you know, you've had a long day at school and now you're here and we've got to, or with your adult students, or whatever. And and you know, pushing your right hand across your body or behind your, you know, and seeing if, if we struggle with any of those just general stretch movements that we sort of take for granted um as adults, but they're really hard to learn sometimes. So so just checking in on that and seeing seeing how the body is working, because that's going to have a large impact on on how we learn and in what way we need to learn at the piano specifically
0: i don't know if this is related at all but i thought everyone could touch their toes easily and (laughs) i have i was born being able to touch my toes very easily i see my dad and my sons like they cannot you know that is just something they cannot do and i don't know if that has anything to do with learning at all but everybody is different so again You know, here I go making assumptions. So you're right, getting them to move and then knowing what to look for, right? When they can't do something, we don't necessarily point it out, but we are just what putting a little sticky note in our brain like, oh, okay, got to work on that.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important too to ask questions of parents as well. Mm. You know, oh, as when mm-hmm. you're when you're intaking students into your private studio, group classes, or whatever, to ask some some pretty specific questions about, like, you know, uh, are you noticing? No. Nah, Does your child struggle with any um, movement activities? Uh, Do they have a behavior plan in place at school? Are they, you know, if you notice some of those things that you were talking about um, in terms of self regulation uh, concerns? I think it's also important, though, to do that away from the student um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, you don't know if the parent, you know, maybe the student is diagnosed with ADHD and the the parent has not told the student that yet. So you don't want to introduce those ideas. in front of the students, um, but then that also gives you, you know, a way to to uh, gauge what language is happening at home too. So if a student is struggling with self regulation, are we talking about red zones and green zones? Are we talking about, you know, what 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 is the language around that? So that you can also be able to reach the student with similar language in their in their lesson or, or class to to help them regulate or do whatever it is that they they are needing in terms of sensory or or just learning abilities.
0: I think it's important to walk a little bit on tiptoes because (laughs) as piano teachers, we are not experts right? Yeah. We, uh, we just have a sense like, Hmm, usually people are okay with this and your child is not. So yeah. you don't want to tell the parents that oh. in those words. And yeah. I I had to talk to a parent about that because I'm, I'm concerned about some things, but then I went back to my experience with our son and, and tried to go about it that way and say, like, you know, look, I don't know for sure, but I'm just getting a sense. And like, do you have any good words for us to use? So that we can kind of calm parents down and not think that we know I don't want to appear like I know everything.
1: Yeah, I honestly don't don't ask outright about ADHD or, or mm-hmm. any of the other things, even anxiety. I ask only about behaviors. Um, so, for example, I'm seeing this in the in the lesson is this an issue that happens in the classroom or at home and and has um, Johnny's teacher found any ways to to really help him with that process, um, because, again, behavior is communication right that's the student trying to tell us or their body telling us that that something. Is not the way that, that it either needs to be for them or or it's it's their their way of, of sort of calming themselves down and and our job is to figure figure that out, so I think talking about behaviors really only, right? And you can ask, does your, does your child have a, um, you know, a specific learning modality that they lean towards? Are they oral learners? Or are they kinesthetic learners? Or are they visual learners? I think the tricky thing with that is that students change. You know, what they are when they're six is not necessarily what they're going to be when they're nine. Um, so, I, you know, some of that is... is is better for you to figure out as the teacher as you walk through the process. Um, but I think some specific questions about about behaviors: how, if they have any teachers and what, uh, that they've really bonded to and what personality um, are you seeing with those types of teachers? Are there classroom environments that, that they are uh, more successful in? Um, and in that way, you might find out, okay, my kiddo does better with a smaller class or my kiddo needs to be away from the window or my kiddo needs to be right next to the Teacher, because they have problems hearing all of the, you know, they, they can't necessarily process it unless they're directly next to the teacher. Um, so, so there's some different things that you might find out if you ask about specific behaviors and then what types of successful learning experiences that student has had. Um, yeah, I think those
0: are two great questions. What behaviors are what behaviors you're noticing, and then what has been successful? And then that's, then you're not passing judgment,
1: you're just getting information. Yeah, it's important not to, not to pass judgment at all and, and to really go into it from a team mentality. You're mm-hmm. working with the parent to try to figure out the best course of action for that student because we're trying to reach all kids, right? Like we're, we're teaching mm-hmm. piano because we think it's important. We know the benefits that it can have for for all students. And, uh, and, and we're just trying to figure out the best way to make that happen. Um, and I think if we address it that way, um, I think, you know, we can get somewhere. If you oh, go into definitely. it like, "I think your kid has ADHD." Th- I mean, that that's like a brick wall, right? You're not going to get through. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> they'll shut down and they'll right. leave. Mm-hmm. It's not helpful.
0: Well, as I expected, we went long. Remember me saying that Emily and I have a hard time shutting it down? So, look for part 2 of our conversation coming up in the next episode, and what she gives specific tips on how to manage neurodivergent kiddos in a group setting. And we even tackle the topic of anxiety in kids it's a significant honor to have Wendy Stevens supporting key ideas make sure to head to the show notes for a link to grab your free studio license digital download of Wendy's cool piece the bold escape remember to use key ideas all one word and no caps when you hit the checkout button I'm Leela Viss thanks for being here and see you in the trenches